This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve Go ahead and play it back, you ain't gonna touch me You not gonna do nothing, you are not above me I bet you wish you was me, I know it, I know What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Only Friends podcast. I am once again, once again, once again, joined by my two co-hosts who are keeping this whole thing together while I try to figure out what the hell it is we're doing here. Mr. Tortoise, Mr. Hunt. We're here. It's still a playoff day, baby. Should have been yesterday, but what the fuck? Yeah, they uh, they decided... They wanted to tap into the Academy time. Yeah, I know. We were so happy that it wasn't going to be during the Academy, that we didn't get that Monday night game, and now here we are, because yeah. they're soft up there in Buffalo. You guys should have got me some Steelers gear to wear for this. Mm-hmm. That's true. I know. I, I have plenty yeah. laying yeah. around There's here, buddy. Don't, don't worry. I don't actually <laughs> yeah. want that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you uh, might yeah. after today. You might after today. I, I mean, maybe. That you're assuming I'm going to pay any attention whatsoever to the result. No, I'll let you know, though. Okay. You'll I'm, hear me screaming. Actually, yeah, you're going to hear me screaming. Honestly, I'll be able to, to know yeah. just from your mood on right. Tuesday and Wednesday yes. like what the result was. Right. You know? That's factual. Uh, we have a fun show today, so you guys might notice Matt Hunt is in the building. We thought that since the Academy was starting, today would be a good day to do a Strat Chat episode. Uh, we have a fun one that LaManna played down at the Jewel mm-hmm. that just digs right back into the whole, let's just pay. <laughs> they always uh, have it. They, they do always have it. But we're going to discuss, um, effectively, the, the, the layout for Strat Chat is going to be... Um, on a smaller level, this notion of just pay, like I know that I kind of threw it out there, uh, very haphazardly without much other instruction other than people going crazy over that. Just give Mm. these people your dollars. So many people have come up to me and be like, I don't know if I really agree with what Berkey's saying. (laughs) He's really good. Like, I really like all the things he usually says, but this one, I don't think so. I feel like there's a, there's a major qualifier to it that probably needs to be added to the sentence of just fucking pay. Yeah. Which is like when you're getting a good price. Yeah. You know, like, well, you're always your getting a good is, price. It's low stakes. Yeah, it's true. Sure, no, that, nobody bets more than that, half the that's pot. That's true. Right? Yeah. But I guess <laughs> what we're, we're not saying call that three X pot jam on river with bottom pair because just fucking pay. Like we're no, not saying that bro, at all. Right. If you see a three X pot jam in your small stakes game, leave. Just leave is, yeah. the, is the correct choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I do think that there are a lot of caveats to add to this. So we're going to dig into that. We're also going to kind of discuss a bit of an overview of what it is that we teach at the Academy. I feel like in 450 episodes or however many of this is, uh, we haven't really given the people much insight as to what goes on. And since it's about to start in a couple of hours, uh, it seems like now is as good as ever to kind of divulge uh, what our process is, what people can expect, and why we even chose to do a live academy to begin with. But before all of that, we need an update from Buffalo. Mm-hmm. These soft, soft bills, man. All right, man. Y'all wanted an update. I'm currently still in downtown Buffalo, and these are the conditions. I mean, are there some other areas that look like they might be worse, as you like to explain to me in the comments? A little snow band down in Orchard Park? I'm sure. But as it stands in downtown Buffalo, you could play football in this. You could drive in this. This is a snowstorm. All right, man. Y'all want to Where's he from? Is he from 
<laughs> downtown Buffalo. He, uh, that's Kevin Adams. Yep. Uh, super fan. I would super like Yenzer. To, yeah, I would like to tour the world with him mm-hmm. and just go to as many Steeler events as humanly possible. But yeah, uh, yeah this was this was uh, Sunday, I don't know, I guess like 9 a.m.-ish, right around right. what kickoff was supposed yeah, to be. Yeah, yeah. No, like 1 o'clock. Sorry, 9 a.m.-ish. 9 a.m. Our, our time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so right yeah. around when the game was supposed to be played. Correct, yeah. So uh, it looks like, uh, you know, much ado about nothing. The Steelers have made it to Buffalo, mm-hmm. so there will be a game very shortly. Uh, a little later on today. I'm fucking pumped. Honestly, I know this is hopium. It is. I understand. Oh, how they- I, I'm filled to the brim with it, Burke. I get it. I get it, man. <laughs> but, like, the Browns are out. They wiped their ass with the terrible Oh, my towel. God. Did like, they get fucking wrecked? Listen, I'm telling you. It, it's a conspiracy. Like, Joe Flacco is still on, on, the, on, the, on Ravens. the Ravens. He's, yeah. on, he's on their payroll, for yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. You know, he had them infiltrate. And just sabotage the team. Mm. He just knew Donald it. Yeah, he throwing really pick sixes left and right. He wasn't making much effort to make those tackles either. Nah, 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 like, nah, nah. Have so There you go. That's, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll skate to the. I know this means nothing R. to R. you, Browns. R. Yeah, R. It, it means literally nothing. But That's the fun. way that we can the way we can make you bring you into this is <laughs> the NFL, much like the WWE, is completely scripted. Yeah. Right. Okay. okay. Now we got an advanced copy of that script, so mm-hmm. you may have I noticed see. all season long. I've been, you know, brimming to the gills at how much hope I have for the Steeler team, right? Mm-hmm. But to be quite honest, they're very mediocre, Matt. Right. You risk, you risk your face. That doesn't, I did, I, you know, I you risked my risk face. face. <laughs> but I might have had a little inside information. You put your face on the line. That's right. I had an advanced copy of the script. Ah. And what I know happens is we go right into Orchard Park. Mm-hmm. We upset Josh Allen and these down bad bills. Mm-hmm. Then we go to Baltimore and we do what we do, which is beat them three times in the same yes. season. And then we just coast, baby. Mm. It's going to be one of those terrible yep. teams that goes on to win the Super Bowl. Yeah. And we have bragging rights for life. Mm-hmm. That's the script, huh? That's the script. Uh, and just to further elicit that I'm confident this script is true. Buffalo is even playing into the role for us. Uh, yesterday, I believe it was the the mayor of Buffalo or the yeah, governor? The, the governor of the New governor? York. Okay, the governor of New York. Wow. How dare you, lady? How dare you? Hochul. Governor Hochul. Thinking about traveling from Pittsburgh to watch the game. We think it's just better if you stay home and tune in on television. It'll be safer for all of us. It's going to be a rough game for you anyhow. Shut up, bitch. <laughs> The ball's on this one. Oh, my God. Oh, man. The ball's on this one. A little message from all of Pittsburgh to the governor of New York. I mean, that was The Rock. He said that. I didn't say that. That's true. I didn't say anything. Yeah, that's true. He said said it She seems like a very nice woman. 20 years ago? That was like 2004, Rock. 20 years ago? I know, right? How old does that make you feel? Every time he shows up in wrestling now, I'm like, holy shit. He looks great. Yeah, he does, but he's like 52 or something now, Mm -hmm. and I just feel so old. That is like one of the best memes, gifts, whatever you want to call that. <laughs> Shut up, bitch! Melissa uses it. <laughs> Melissa uses it in our chat. Non-stop. Daily. Yes, oh, daily. Sure. And she at, at the perfect times, too. Yeah. I just die every time. Yeah, it's always like, look what so-and-so tweeted, and yeah. then just followed up with the shut up, bitch gif. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa does have good meme timing. Oh, she, she, she understands. She's really excellent at mm-hmm. it. Um, so, yeah, I, obviously, like I'm filled to the brim with hope. Uh, I know that come tomorrow... There's a high probability I'm going to be eating crow, but you know what? I don't care. It doesn't matter. Yeah. We're like, this is like, it feels like a free roll. 
It does. Feels it like does. a free, the, you know, free roll. You know, the, a couple weeks ago, they were the season was over. They were done. They were calling for firing Tomlin, cleaning house. Yep. Now here we are, right? So we have a chance to do something. If we don't, hey, people, what, people forget. People forget very quickly that that Super Bowl where they beat Seattle, they came out of the wild card. They, they were the six seed. They were the, they were the bottom. Ran seat. the fucking table on the road, on the road, on the road. That's right. Dominant performance, and mm-hmm. it just so happens the Super Bowl's in Las Vegas. I don't know. I mean, I don't <laughs> just, know. I just, As someone who only follows the uh, NFL through you guys on this podcast. You're welcome. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's been quite the ride to see you guys being, like, so depressed and so, yeah. uh, like, I, I didn't know what about, but, like, I just could mm. see that you were guys mm-hmm. were really negative on the Steelers. And then suddenly, like, they're in the playoffs, and you're talking about the Super Bowl, and I'm like, okay, I guess something happened. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know, but I guess things got better, right? It's we, just <laughs> all the non-Steeler fans out there are like, these two idiots with their dumbass, stupid team. It's really bad thinking that they're going to go to the Super but Bowl. But that's all sports but fans, the, though. Like, right, yeah. everybody, everybody yeah. is completely and delusional about their And that's why it is hopium. I mean, yeah. yeah. You know, we we are a special breed, though, yeah. and you'll come okay. to realize that year after. Uh, the longer this podcast persists, yeah, the more like just think back on this exact moment okay. where you were like, "Oh yeah, I noticed this." Just four years from now, you're gonna be like, "I'm so sick of you, Steeler fans." <laughs> <laughs> it's the same emotional roller coaster every, oh, every single year. season. Yep. All to end in a playoff loss somewhere down well, the line. You're, you're assuming that you're not going to condition me to just tune everything out completely after the end of this season. Because oh, if you guys win the Super Bowl, you're going to be so obnoxious. I'm going to ignore every bit of football. It's talk impossible. Forever. You would not. Oh, hunt! I'm trying to go the exact opposite direction. I'm trying to indoctrinate you. I know you are. I'm not going to. It's not going to work. <laughs> Look at these fantastic black and gold I've, colors. I've watched two Super Bowls in my life. Both of them at your house, actually. Well, one of them was at your house. One of them was at someone else's house. Mm. I don't remember, but they were the most boring sporting events I've ever seen. So but the commercials. You're gonna, you're gonna have, you're gonna have a job on your hands to convert me the commercials though yeah yeah it's, i mean that was more interesting than the game in both cases yeah you're like the girlfriend no offense but that's okay I mean, that's not offense but like <laughs> that's the way it works out you know you bring your girlfriend to a super bowl party and it's just like was taylor swift within that commercial well no i mean okay to the scale, i would the, actually be yeah you know that's right. me you're i'm right, the yeah. girlfriend you're the, the scale but. here is like i cared zero percent about the game and i cared like 10 percent about the commercials mm. right so like you've got a long way to go before i actually mm-hmm. start wanting to watch the commercial you're not yeah. excited about usher halftime show uh no i didn't even think he was still a thing we um, he has a residency in Las Vegas. They're so just going to just go across I the guess street over yep, to I guess I don't stadium. pay attention to who has residencies you anymore. Better you, bring Ludacris and little John for, yeah. Song of our generation. <laughs> it is song you know of our what really makes you feel old? Uh, do you know when Usher's first single came out? It's oh, probably it was like, like 99 or something. 98 or 97, 96, 95. 30 years ago. No so way. 1994. No way. No. Yeah. I saw a commercial for his halftime performance today watching the pregame. Uh, mm-hmm. And they were like, 30 years in the making. You make Usher. me be the one I'm with. And I'm like, start a new relationship. That song? I was think 94? so. That was his first one. That was not 94. I think it was. Yeah, and you want to know how, this is a this is a weird way to remember, but uh, Gumby was dating Emily at the time. Good so old my, Gumby. My, my best friend in high school, he yep. was dating a girl in Freeport, which was our neighboring town. And we weren't old enough to drive. Mm-hmm. So 94 would have been 12, 13? 13, 13. Well, some 12, some 13. Yeah. Depends on when you You make born. me want to, I feel it came out 96. But either way. Yeah. 28 years. Yeah. A long time ago. A long, long time. I know. Wow. We're old. We're not young. We're what, not young. What number of Super Bowl are they at now? I lost count like 10 years it's ago. 50, okay, yeah. What number of Super Bowl is it? 
It's like yeah. 50 something. Because I'm like that yeah. with WrestleMania. Like, I think WrestleMania 40 is this year, mm -hmm. but like I lost track years ago because I haven't watched it in a while. Yeah, I think 1961 was the first Super Bowl. I might be wrong though. But that would make it 63, 64? No, it's it's 50 some. It's it's Super Bowl 57 Maybe. or something. It was, sometime in the 60s was the first Super Bowl. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Namath versus, uh, you know, that other guy. Who'd the Jets play? The Jets. They beat the Rams, maybe? Um, or the somebody, Chiefs? They beat somebody really good they weren't supposed to beat. Yeah, who knows? I just know the Jets won the first Super Bowl and the Chiefs won, I think. No, the, the Jets did not win the first Super Bowl. Yeah, Namath. Yeah, that, no, he won a Super Bowl, but not the first one. The, the Packers won the first one. They were from the first two, I think. Really? Yeah, come on, man. Well, we you guys here? are going to fight on this. I think you should just look well, it up. Yeah, I think, I think we should book it. All right, book it. All right. I think well, you might be right. What? what are the stats? I actually think you, I think, a slap? No, the, it's it's uh, just a thing. Yeah. I actually think you're right. I think the Jets were third, Super Bowl three. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Looks like Super Bowl one was Green Bay Packers, 1967. There you go. They beat. I don't know who they beat. But so they that played would make Los this Angeles. like 57. This is 58. <clears throat> 58. Okay. Yeah, Super Bowl 58. That's a lot of Super Bowls. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Green Bay beat Kansas City first one. Yep. Oakland then they beat second. Minnesota. Yeah. And then the Jets beat Baltimore, the third one. Baltimore. Yep. The Baltimore yeah. Colts. They were the Baltimore Colts. It wasn't the Ravens back then. Correct. <laughs> I think there was like 12 teams in the league. I should remember that. I had a little book when I was a kid growing up that uh, was was all of the... the his oh, no. What have we done? I just lost my stream deck. Oh, How boy. does Guapo do this job, man? Yeah, it's yeah. tough. Uh, tough I had this little book. At the time, I think there was only like, I don't know, 25 Super Bowls. It was like, I was 12. Yeah. Um... And it, it went through each one. But I only read the Steelers ones. Super Bowl 30 was the one the Steelers lost to the Cowboys, the Cowboys yeah. in 94, uh, 5. Yeah. Tough times, man. Yeah. But what, 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 times. Before the Super Bowl existed, what was it? Was it just... It was the, it was the NFL championship. So what happened oh, was... so the Super so Bowl it used was just to be, brand, So it right? used to just be the <clears throat> NFL. Or, or, uh, and, then, and then there was the AFL. Right, so then the there AF were two different leagues. There were two different leagues, like, like baseball or not? Kind uh, of, kind think, of. Think of it like that. Only yeah. instead of playing in the MLB, yeah, mm -hmm. they had just their own separate leagues. Oh, so right. two completely so separate, two right. separate okay. leagues, right? And then the AFL hmm. ended up. Oh, there was a lot of good branding, and they ended up getting good players. Where like it was like the NFL was the NFL, right? Mm -hmm. And then the AFL was like up and coming. And then right. what happened was the a the AFL got so big that it was like. Oh, let's just combine them. And then they had the AFL and NFL, and then they had the Super Bowl. And the winner I of the see. AFL played the winner of the NFL. And then eventually there was the there was merger. merger. Okay. And then uh, it all became one thing. And it became two conferences, the NFC and the AFC. So how far does the whole system go back? Like, Oh, I mean, the football. Like 30s, maybe? Yeah, back like when they 20s, were leather helmets. teens, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I think college football Way is older back. than And college football goes back to, like, literally the 1800s. Yeah. Like the late 1800s, yeah. We all wow. stole it from rugby. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't let us fool I'm you. sure we did. Yeah, I mean, I, I was aware. <laughs> America is very good at, at, at taking other things and making them I'm better. an Englishman. I, I know the whole history of America stealing British things mm -hmm. and, and making them better or making them worse or whatever you yeah. think. We yeah, stole our fucking freedom, didn't we? Yeah, we're like, exactly. We're, <laughs> <laughs> we're like that company that uh, they, they like, I can't think of the name of the company, but their whole slogan is we don't make things, we make things better. Oh yeah, and right. like they they like mm -hmm. produce like Scotch tape, VHSs, yeah, yeah. like Whatever. literally yeah. everything. <laughs> but they just like make it all better. Right, that's that's, that's America. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. We made freedom better. Hey, why'd mm -hmm. you think I moved here? Uh, you're right. There you go. You're on the right side of history. <laughs> yeah, all right, wrong. let's uh, let's get into all things poker so that 
Nikki doesn't yell at me because we legitimately actually spent 15 minutes on sports ball this well, time. Well, it's a big day, Burke. It is a big day. God, it's a big day. Let's just go back to it. Yeah. Uh, all right. <laughs> let's, let's get into uh, some poker talk. So I, I think first and foremost, before we get into the, to the just... Hmm, actually, let's lead with the just pay. Let's... Because I, I, I want to flesh this idea out since I said it kind of like loosely last week. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, some poor bastards have maybe gone broke in the meantime. I, people were tweeting at you like I'm losing buy-in after buy-in. Yeah, it's, uh, it's like Berkey just keeps t- tells me to keep paying. I keep paying. They keep showing me the nuts. So yeah. here's, here's uh, I guess, my overall perspective on why I think people have trouble with this. I think it's because people have too much... They have too much confidence in the accuracy of their own reads or their, mm-hmm. own, Agreed. their own assumptions. And they're too prone to remembering the occasions where their assumptions are confirmed and forgetting about the occasions where their assumptions are like refuted. Right. And, and, the hand we're going to look at today, Brian will never remember in the future. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> we didn't say what happened. But um, yeah, so I, I agree. Like, I think what their, their assumptions are correct, but they're going too far. Is that kind of what you're saying? Kind because of. It's, it's, like, it's like, yes, in these environments, people do under bluff a, a lot, right? So like... But that doesn't mean they never bluff. I, yeah, and I also right, and I more also, like you is like they always have it type of thing is like they don't always have it, but they have it more than they should. And I, I also think that I mean that that's that's true, but it's I also think it's a question of like the reason why you see specific things over and over again. You see people always having it is because the environment conditions them that way, right? Mm-hmm. And if you are using a sample of information in one type of spot to make a read on how someone's going to play in a different type of spot, the Mm -hmm. accuracy of your read is going to be wildly off. Yeah. Especially if the second type that you're trying to judge is a spot that this player is not accustomed to being in. Right. So like if they're accustomed to facing one bet size and they never face this other bet size. So for example, you use like a massive bet size on the river in a spot that they've never had to play before. Mm -hmm. You'll read on how they play that spot is not going to be accurate if you base it on all the times that they faced a half pot bet in the in the past, right? Because if they've never faced this size and you've never seen them face this size, you're not working with a reliable sample of information That's at true. all. Yeah. Or you're conflating things like where like maybe there's like a certain person in your, you know, in your player pool where you've played with them a ton and mm-hmm. you know that like they literally, you've never seen them turn over a bluff. So it's right. like this one person, yes, they maybe always have it, but you can't extrapolate that out to every single person that you're playing against. Right, exactly. I think from my perspective, uh, you guys touched on a lot of the details as to why this uh, notion runs rampant at small stakes. And a lot of it is just confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think my biggest problem with it and the reason why I'm, I'm advocating to pay is because I don't think that anyone benefits from creating a strategy strictly from the framework of assumptions. And that's my biggest issue, right? Whenever you start with the assumption that they always have it or um, some derivative thereof, right? Some, some loose uh, approach to the stakes that you play, the pool that you play, where it's just like, well, they under bluff, they um, don't value bet thin enough and, you know, these certain patterns just ring true so that I can operate with some confidence that my opposition is doing what I perceive them to do. 
The issue with that is it's not grounded in anything except your observation, which is heavily biased. And the problem with the ac or the inaccuracies there are you're heavily exploitable now. Mm -hmm. The second that one single person doesn't do what you perceive them to be doing, you're getting raked over the coals, mm -hmm. right? Every time that you fold that top of range hand, because you've seen this a million times and they just show up with better, you are absolutely losing hundreds of big blinds over the aggregate yeah. mm -hmm. versus the player who's just like in there with worse, mm -hmm. right? The guy who value bets too thin and actually has top pair worse kicker, which you never see in your pool. The guy who actually shows up at the river with some sort of bluff, even if it's completely random and nonsensical, right? Those guys are now going to give you fits because how can you ever make money, right? Right. You're not making money with your value because you're checking it too often. You're not making money with your bluffs because you're under bluffing. Like everybody who projects that notion about small stakes falls victim to the exact same pattern. So what's separating you and allowing you to derive some sort of EV or bottom line? You're just operating that pattern, quote unquote, more accurately. Right. right? Yeah. And the projection thing is really powerful as well because a lot of the time, the reason why people assume that a certain player or the player pool as a whole just never bluffing in a certain spot is because they some part of them recognizes that they themselves are never bluffing in that spot yep because that, they don't have for the, sure they don't have the mentality of aggressively searching to find bluffing opportunities mm -hmm. because they recognize how important bluffing is yeah you hear people say like well i just always set the fold in this spot or I'll, i i always can can never call here i right. i i'm never gonna uh, you know like, i just check just never bluffing i do here, this like, or yeah. yeah yeah it's like then you think that every other person does the exact same thing you're right, right. Mm -hmm. yeah so what what i really mean by just pay is develop some level of comfort around knowing that certain hands are worth a certain amount of pot share right they're just too high up in our range to be trying to look for ways to fold and ultimately what will happen is two things number one if you pay a bunch with these good hands and get shown better um at a minimum you should start to build a callus to the notion of like well it doesn't matter like i got set over set and i pay right yeah. i got flush over flush and i pay uh, I got overpair, over overpair. I pay. Like these are just these. These are ways that money is supposed to be exchanged in the game. There's no mm -hmm. getting away from it. You don't play the game to avoid those situations, right? Just like you don't play tournaments to avoid flips. You can't avoid the coolers, right? Right. right. Like you, you, if you try to play a tournament start to finish and not flip, you're drawing stone fucking dead in the field. <laughs> yeah, you, literally. Right. Yeah. Literally dead. So like you have to win flips to win a tournament. You have to. Stack people when you have pair over pair and you have to get stacked whenever you have pair over pair or pair under pair, whatever. And you have to like take the spots where you're, you're getting it in and in the knowledge that if you get called, you're not going to have that much equity. And then sometimes you just, you just spike an ace against Kings and you, now you have chips, you know, like it's yeah. just, that's just the nature of the game. Right. Right. So the game moves in a certain way. So you'll, you'll develop a callus of just understanding that like, oh, when I'm at this portion of my range, like it just plays itself. I don't really need to put a lot of brain power into what I'm doing with the top of my range because I just can't make errors as long as I don't fold. The second thing that will happen is you'll realize like, I'm leaving a lot of money on the table with these hands because the biggest misplayed uh, node in the game tree, in my opinion, is river out of position with near top of range. It's the, I'm going to check because I don't know what calls if I bet and when I face a bet, my hand is strong enough to check call, right? It's the, 
it's the ace queen on queen x x x x right where like draws have missed or whatever and the reason i say this is so misplayed is because what ultimately ends up happening is you check they check back you win you feel good about that right you check they bet you call you always lose mm -hmm. and it's because they're under bluffing mm -hmm. you're right they always have it because in that specific node they shut down so frequently mm -hmm. that when you actually face a bet even your absolute best hands that should not even be bluff catchers but should have been value bets to begin with mm -hmm. struggle to call profitably because you've positioned them to only have this tiny little sliver of range that was trapping you yeah mm -hmm. you know yeah it's it's funny they mentioned that because i'm guilty of the inverse of that in tournaments where i will find myself like checking river with a, a value hand with the intent to check raise expecting my opponent to be capable of a good number of bluffs and thin value bets and then they just check back yeah. some hand which is like an obvious value bet and right. i'm like why didn't i just fucking bet because yeah. they're not going to bet enough right you know Right, and that in both instances you arrive at the same you you um, converge on the exact same action. Right, which is bet your fucking hand. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, if you're in a yeah. situation where like you don't think check calling will feel comfortable, but you recognize that you're at top of range, then just bet. Right, like a big portion of the just pay mechanism mm -hmm. is you paying through betting. I, this this exact situation happened to me um, last week when I was playing, and it was like I watched this guy. Just like check back, like just show aggression pre-flop and maybe on the flop and this is like check, check, check. And just like playing super passively on the turns and rivers. And I got in a situation with him where I turned top pair. Mm -hmm. I think I had king queen or something. The turn was a queen. Mm -hmm. And like normally you would just check in this like spot. And I'm just like, I just have to lead because like he's otherwise he's just i'm never getting any value and i led and he called and i led and he called yeah. and i had the best hand and it's just like if if i check i just get like he checks back and then like the river maybe i throw out one bet and now i get one bet instead of two right yeah so. um i i mean i i think that that's a good example obviously it breaks flow and it's not very theoretically sound. Right. You're not just going to take the lead on an overcard. Right. But I get, I get the premise behind what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And generally like that's a better mistake to make. If you're going to break theory. Yeah. That's a better way of breaking theory than breaking theory in the sense of like having King Queen in that spot, turning the top pair, checking, having to go check back and then checking again on the river when facing a bet folding. Yeah. Right. Like be mindful of the way that you're, that you're disobeying theory mm -hmm. and exploiting. And this circles all the way back to what I was trying to originally say, which is I don't think anybody, and I mean this very sincerely, uh, I think the days are gone where people can build a strategy off of sheer observation, right? I, I just don't think that anybody is good enough this day and age when we have so much knowledge about like the cursory level of the game tree even people watching the show or, uh, you know, casual recreationals who come in contact with some low level coaching, they're still going to have like a cursory level. Oh, sorry. Of how strategy moves from start to finish. They understand what flow is. They understand, mm -hmm. uh, how hands rank and, and like what value is and things like that. So at that cursory level, I don't think anybody can build a profitable strategy any longer from assumptions. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, there was a point in time where you could because your assumptions were just more accurate, right? Like people were lazy and they were all defaulting to the same risk aversion and they were doing it in a very 
noticeable way. You just show up to a 510 table and eight people would play identical to one another mm -hmm. and you could just disrupt. It's not like that anymore though. Like, yeah, they're going to they're going to look, you know, if you zoom way 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 out, all of the actions are going to look pretty similar. But you could throw in a good player there and hit blend. You know, like if you zoom way out as far as like frequencies and stuff go, the second you start to zoom in though a bit, you're going to notice like a lot of randomness is occurring because the truth of the matter is the majority of the people you're playing against have no framework outside of assumptions. Mm -hmm. And if your only framework is an assumptive process, that means that every single decision that you make from start to finish is being generated in that moment. It may as well be random. Yeah. yeah. Right. You For may sure. as well just be grasping at something out of the air and just being like, this is what I want to do this time in this particular moment. And whatever happens, it won't matter. My brain will get wiped like men in black three <laughs> seconds later and we're going to play the same spot and I'll do yeah. something different. Yeah. That, that is the pull for sure. Yeah. And it's so common how often these ideas about what the assumptions mean are just like people will have a narrative in their mind about a hand or about how a certain player is playing or what the exploit is or whatever. It's just made up. Like they're just, just making shit up out of nowhere. Like someone will be like, I, I had a student that I was working with the other week that played a hand where it was like a, like a 5x open under the gun and he squeezed from a certain position with a hand that was like too weak to squeeze and the narrative was like oh this guy's this guy's opening like too many hands uh he's been really active and then the player who's flatting is like way too passive and all this stuff and, and the answer to like how much information that you do you have or like how long have you been playing with these players and he was like oh like an hour <laughs> and I was like literally nothing yeah. from that narrative is actually meaningful mm -hmm. because you've played like 20 hands against right. these players. Like it's crazy the extent to which people, their bias will just make stuff up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, and I think that like, I really want to hammer this notion of, um, of like being thoughtful, actually generating some sort of strategy, right? Because the truth of the matter is that, uh, at this day and age, if, if you are just winging it, so to speak, like, well, like what we're speaking of, where you're just showing up and you're making assumptions and you're praying for the best type of thing, you fall into such a lazy bucket, right? Like there's just so much available. So, you know, I know I gave Jonathan like a hard time about saying like anybody can win mm -hmm. and I don't believe that to be true, but I do believe that anybody can at least curate a strategy. Right now, whether you can execute on it, totally different story, whether it's even profitable to execute on also totally different story. And even if you do get to the point of having a well-formulated profitable strategy that you can somewhat execute on still may not be enough for people to win because there's so much nuance within that framework in and of itself. Right. But you'll do better. And mm -hmm. that's the biggest point. Like, if I were to re-message what, what he had initially packaged, and it's nowhere near as sexy and it's not as good of a marketing ploy, but anybody can do better than their current state. Right. And that's true of the worst player in any single given pool or the absolute best player in any single given pool mm -hmm. because we're not simulators, right? And we're not playing against other machines. So we can always do better. Live poker specifically is 100% exploitative at all times. Yeah. As Matt was saying, like the sample is just nothing, right? So every single decision that you make is critical in the sense that there is an absolute answer. There's an exploitative choice that you can make that will be perfect. 
However, that should not be what we're striving for, right? We should be striving to honor the framework of whatever strategy it is that we've curated. And it's very reasonable to say like, I have a different strategy for one three no limit than I do for five ten no limit, right? That's very reasonable and viable. But the difference in strategy cannot be, I know these guys never bet without the nuts. So I'm never calling without the nuts or I'm like folding second nuts, whatever. And you you also have to, you have to go in knowing like, yeah, there is hypothetically a a max exploit, perfect approach for this specific environment, but I'm only ever going to have maybe 10% of the information that I would need in order to figure out what that actually is. Mm -hmm. And you have to accept how limited the information is that you're actually working with and recognize that that 90% that you don't know is the stuff that you're never going to have access to because it's most of your opponent's thought process, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really well put, right? At the end of the day, we're playing a game of imperfect information and the majority of that information is locked up in your opponent's brain. Even if they don't know what they're doing, they are still doing something, right? <laughs> so even if it's just random, like uh, th- that's the other thing. Like it would be an interesting experiment to have somebody um, like play, call it 5,000 hands against other humans where... Uh, the humans are low-key just randomizing every single decision. And not not strategically, but just like complete and utter random, right? Like mm-hmm. they're just fed a number into an earpiece and they have like three options between uh, call, fold, or raise, right? And depending if it's one through 33, 34 through 66, or 67 through 100, they do one of those three actions and their hand doesn't mean anything, right? Mm-hmm. It'd be interesting to see how people develop a counter to that by taking in the observational information because none of it would make any sense right nothing would make sense right so how would you ever piece it together which it kind of implies that a random strategy will scramble your attempt to decipher a random strategy and that's the biggest point right we have game theory to lean on so we have these simple principles that will just guide us in any you know let's call it simplistic spot and steer you in a direction. It's like, oh, you have the top 5% of your range? Never fold. Theory will dictate that you never fold. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that say, like, you don't know live. Theory doesn't know live. They're not playing against old man coffee. Everybody like, says that. Literally, mm-hmm. I've had probably 10 people come up to me this week and say that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's true. But they still have to operate according to some framework of logic. Right. Right? So you can't disobey the thing that is rooted in logic. It it just doesn't make, you can't become illogical to counter some sort of, you know, rationality that their opponent's projecting. And the the other thing about it is like the, that, that idea of theory doesn't know live poker. The people who really know theory don't say that. So really what it's coming down to is the answer is you don't know theory. It's not theory doesn't know live poker. It's mm. you play live poker mm-hmm. and you don't know the theory. Therefore, you're putting two and two together and getting five. Right. You know? that, that's a great way of putting it. And I, I think people misunderstand like what we mean by theory. Nobody's asking you to go out and play like Ike. But <laughs> right. if you're trying to tell me that Ike couldn't beat your 1-3 game, you're full of shit. Yeah. yeah. Right. right? Like, absolutely mash that game. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. Because it's like the, the more armed you are with theoretical knowledge, the easier it is for you to recognize when people are breaking it. 
Mm-hmm. Like, and you're just basically a traffic cop waiting for people to speed. Mm-hmm. You're just gunning them down all day long. You know, it's like, oh, okay, well, that size isn't really a thing. Well, let me think if I were, uh, you know, playing a 1-3 game where I'm just doing things at random, what hands would I bucket into that size? It's like, maybe it's too nutted. Maybe it's too airy. Like, whatever. You just default to the equity of your hand and you continue or you fold. Mm-hmm. And you make some extreme exploits here along the way. But the the pride that people take in only showing down winners, it's just so ludicrous to me. You know, mm-hmm. you have to recall that you're being laid a price on the pot. You're supposed to lose when you're getting four to one. You only need to win 20% of the time. Yeah. You know, yep. one in five times you're supposed to win that pot. Mm-hmm. People can't seem to emotionally accept that. And it's a really big hurdle to get over if you want to play this game with any level of seriousness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happens. Obviously, I coach mostly tournament players, but the same thing happens with tournaments as a whole. Like you, a player will go into a tournament and it might be like a two, three day tournament where you make the money at the end of day one, right? And it's, let's say it's 15% paid. In that situation, even if you have a really good ROI in that tournament, you're probably going to cash it like 20% of the time. So that means. You go into day one and 80% of the time you're going to bust on day one. Yeah. And even if you looked at like firing multiple bullets, it, 80% times 80% times 80% or whatever, like there's a certain frequency that you just like fire three bullets and you just, you don't get anything. Right. right. And that is supposed to happen. And if you are only playing a smallish sample of poker, like if you play 20, 40, 50 live tournaments a year, like it is so incredibly easy to just brick 95% of your buy-ins and feel like you're the worst player ever. Mm-hmm. Just the way it's easy to like somehow cash 40% of your tournaments for a year and feel like you're the greatest. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I see it all the time in, in my game where good players that, you know, if I talk strategy with them a little bit, I understand that it's impossible for them to not have a win rate. Literally impossible. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. There, there are so many people with a high enough loss rate that it would just absolutely be impossible for them to not manifest some sort of win rate. But they'll go on like a 250-hour um, downswing that costs them like 40 or 50 buy-ins. Maybe that's a little extreme because buy-ins in, in my game aren't really real. You know, you're never really buying it for 100 bigs. Yeah. But, you know, they'll lose like, they'll lose like uh, you know, 3,000 or 4,000 big blinds. And it just feels insurmountable, right? It'll just be like, how is this happening? Like, maybe I'm not winning. And, and the doubt creeps in. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, everything else is like, look, look at it on paper. You played 250 hours. That's, that's 40 hands an hour at most. You know, that, that's probably high side. So you're looking at 10,000 hands. It's like, I know you're beating 200 Zoom online. Like you can't find mm-hmm. me a 10,000 hand stretch where you lost 30 bu- 30 buy-ins. Right. Yeah. It's like a week of, right. of online grinding, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, so it's it's so hard when the time is slow, right? It's easy to understand the law of big numbers whenever you're able to put in real volume yeah. and actually see the long run. Like I've lost for 3 months and it's like, well, you know, that's not a lot of poker. Yeah, it's like I lost for 3 months, but I lost for 10,000 hands. Right. And those two things are at odds, right? right? Because 10,000 hands online would be like three days. Yeah. And you're like, okay, Mm -hmm. I went on a small downswing and then, you know, I recovered and whatever. But then like for three months, three long months, 90 days of losing seems like a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and, And that is where this desire to, to adhere to control 
comes from, right? Like so many people take pride in not having like these long losing stretches and they're so convinced that live is so malleable to their to their whims that uh, they'll, it'll never happen to them. The, the inverse to this is I've seen so many fucking bad players not run the way that they're supposed to, not suffer the three-month-long downswing, not suffer the 30 to 50 buy-in downswing, mm-hmm. right? I've just seen so many... Like losing players for sure, not even like a question. There, there's just almost no shot that they're break even or better. Um, just go months on end without booking it out. But all they're doing is biding their time mm-hmm. because what happens is they hit and run, or they, uh, you know, get lucky in a few situations and then really lock down to where you know it's impossible to to get any. Uh, like they basically mitigate their losses. When they're doing well and don't get me wrong like this is actually a strength of of losing players right whenever they're winning they find ways to mitigate their losses which is an incredible way to reduce your loss rate for sure yeah the issue is that when they're losing they find ways to exacerbate Mm -hmm. right and they just lose the max unless they have some sort of stop loss so eventually the variance will swing eventually all those buy-ins will get dumped back in eventually they'll find themselves in the poker hospital but you know, the Parker Hospital. I like yeah. that. I I can't believe uh, we definitely need to make a T-shirt for this. Yeah, I can't believe this is like such a non-common term. You must be like the fifth person who uh, this week was just like, <laughs> "What's the Poker Hospital?" It's like, I mean, I get what it is. I just love it. It's yeah. great. I think it's a really great term. Yo and Yo Viro and I were talking about it last night, and he goes, "Never again. I, I will never again be in the hospital." I go, "Me either, man. I'm the dean of medicine there now. I'm just taking a new patients." <laughs> But it's like, you know, especially live, the poker hospital is a real thing because a big aspect of it. So like, even though, you know, we've kind of dealt with it. I mean, it's not like a real, real thing. Well, (laughs) honestly, honestly, it might be a business. Not a physical place. Maybe we should just convert the academy into the poker hospital. (laughs) Come on in. That might be good branding, honestly. Yeah, I think it it easily could be. But uh, it's a real thing in the sense that. Even though we're talking, you know, we've kind of delved into the to the realm of variance now. We're talking about the fact that like these long stretches of wins and losses can occur. The truth of the matter is, the live environment. If you have a win rate, a your win rate is so incredibly high mm-hmm. for a lot of good players uh, that you don't need a ton of buy-ins behind it. Because the truth of the matter is, the variance isn't that swingy, right, right? now. If you play a strategy similar to mine, the standard deviations are a lot worse than others you know most people are probably going to suffer like 80 to 100 big blinds per 100 type of variance mine might be double that right so i'm going to need a little bit more of a bankroll but the fact is you could be really fucking aggressive live because people you know as this whole conversation started don't stack off appropriately Mm -hmm. you just don't see one pair versus one pair getting in 100 big blinds often enough it just doesn't happen so because of that because all of you are so afraid to put any fucking money in the pot and everybody here is so petrified of being stacked like as if somehow is just a shot to their honor uh (laughs) the variance is actually quite low sucks to get stacked man does it yeah why because you lose money you're there to win money it's it's not winning and losing it's it's an ebb and flow yeah money gets taken from you know it's it's it really is funny because like you've been talking about this especially over the last few weeks or so and it really helps put the game into perspective when you're actually sitting there right and and you are down a few hundred bucks or you're down a couple a buy-in or two buy-ins or whatever it is 
and you're just like, okay, no, I need to get this much to get back to even. Like, no, just you have a stack in front of you and play your stack the yeah. way it, the way you should play it. And it doesn't matter if you end the day up or down because you're playing thousands of hours over the course of a couple of years. And it's just going to, if you have a win rate, you will... You'll see it. You'll see that win rate, right? It's all one long session. <clears throat> yep. Right. It is all one long session. I know that's like a cliche, but it really helps you put into perspective that that it doesn't matter exactly what's happening. Like, oh, man, I just ran bad for a week. I just kept running into it. I kept getting cooler. I get, it's like, so what? Like, if you if you have a bankroll that can... Now, if you don't have a bankroll that can stay, I get, I get it. Because, like, if you're, you know, you're approaching zero, then, then you know... You have bigger, anxiety, you have bigger issues. You have bigger mm-hmm. issues, right. Right, but if you have a bankroll where you, where your risk of ruin is basically zero, if you're playing in a game that, like, you know, that that's so low stakes to you, then it literally doesn't matter. It's just like, okay, so, so what? Like, next month, you're just going to run hot for a week and all that you're gonna get all that back plus yeah right and it will if if you're playing correctly you're you're gonna even out the the wins and the 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 bad and the good and then the win rate will show through yeah i was talking to joanne about this uh she came to the academy a few times we had her on the show mama joe as we like to call her Mm -hmm. and uh she's she's like in the two five 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 streets a lot and she's miserable for such a long portion i don't mean it in the sense of like uh, she's a miserable person. She's not but, a misrag. Right. No, but she's like in pain. She's just in pain because hour after hour after hour, only a few dollars are exchanging hands, right? Because the variance is so fucking low live. Like low variance, believe it or not, is actually not all that desirable because what ends up happening is it cuts into your win rate. You you want there to be higher variance because the more people are gambling, uh, even if it's at your detriment some of the time, the more money is just being exchanged. And I told her, I was like, the biggest problem with playing these stakes, like prior to getting to uncapped games where stacks get a lot deeper, mm-hmm. the biggest issue with playing like 100 big blind or 200 big blind cap games is that you're just biding your time. You're spending hundreds of hours just swinging small in one direction or another. And you might go like 50 hours where your win rate is like minus $20 an hour. And then you might get it all back in 10 hours mm-hmm. or 20 hours yeah. at plus, plus interest. Like, like you, if you look at like a 200 hour hand sample, you may like have somewhere near a break even win rate for 180 hours. And then you might win like $300 an hour for 20 hours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And it just breaks down to you making 50 bucks an hour at five, five. And now yeah. you're the biggest winner in that fucking pool. Right. You know, and that's mm-hmm. really hard as a human to sign up for. Because that's not what you're saying. Every, to, to the human, when you play live, every single session is a new day. Mm-hmm. And every single session is like, I'm just going to like find ways to win the maximum and like sustain this massive win rate. And like, you know, I'm showing up to cash my check and I'm going to make $40 an hour at 5-5 five, five, no limit. It's like, yeah, you are. But making $40 an hour means that you're going to lose $10 an hour for hundreds of hours. And then mm-hmm. you're going to win $1,000 an hour for like 25 hours. Yeah. When I, like I told, I think I came in one day and Guapo asked me how I did. And I was like, that was a small win. And it was like, it, it ended up being like 200 bucks at, for like, uh, five hours or something Mm -hmm. like that. And, and he's like, that's good. That's $40 an hour. That's, that's like what you want to make in that game. And I'm like, yeah, but that's just, if I'm making what I think I could make, and I don't saying I can make $40 in this game, I'm just saying, but like, I'm like, that's, it's not a big win. Right. A big win in that game is, you know, hundreds of dollars an hour. Right. Right. Like making exactly what you, what your quote unquote hourly is, is just 
like uh, it's, it's just the mean yeah it's just yeah. the mean it's not a big win it's it's actually like a yeah a small win in, in, in a way because your wins are supposed to your wins are supposed to be a lot bigger than your hourly just because your losses are gonna offset counter, it, yeah counteract that yeah I, I always feel like if i play cash or if someone plays cash and the end result is like less than one buy in either way less than one buy in up or less than one buy in down it's like what even happened like right. nothing, yeah. nothing yeah, even yeah. happened mm -hmm. during that session yeah right? i agree mm -hmm. Agreed. And, and yeah, like you really start to, if, if you were to map somebody's like year and look at like a 1500 hour hand sample or something like that, it's really only going to be the sessions where you win or lose more than three buy-ins yeah. uh, that, that are really going to stand out. Everything else is going to mostly wash. Mm -hmm. And that also like, you know, getting back to, to strategy uh, of the game itself, that's a lot of how the game is played. Yeah. You know, you try to carve out a very small win rate in the middle mm -hmm. that big cloud of hands that just fall in like very marginal equity you just want to do like one to three to five percent better than the field there right you know you want to show some level of earn with hands that the rest of the field is breaking even or losing small with right and that's going to show up in your win rate mm -hmm. uh but the the irony is that i think people think that the majority of the win rate comes from the top where it's just like oh i'm gonna like make you know, 50% more money with the value portion of my range than, than the pool. It's like, in, in theory, like that should be where it's all zero. Mm -hmm. You know, top versus top should just always negate each other. And th yeah. this is people not making the distinction between EV and win rate in that yep. the majority of your EV, the, the money that you win, the pots that you win, it comes from the top of your range. Correct. But the majority of your win rate, which is the difference between you and the other players in the pool, comes from everything else. Right, yeah. Right, because by default, <clears throat> those high EV hands should should yield winning a lot of money, regardless of who holds them. Right, you know the amount of times you get dealt flushes and straights and full houses and full five card hands that are just supposed to accumulate a lot of dollars is not going to be what creates or generates your poker right. career. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take skill to get dealt aces over kings. You know, right. like everybody gets to stack the other person when they have aces over kings. It's mm -hmm. just how it works. Right. And I think people have devolved into believing that it does take skill to avoid kings versus aces, which is the Helmuthian approach, and it's mm -hmm. ludicrous. And yeah, people I mean, take that approach. Crushed in cash at, game. Yeah, like yeah. like you know, in these small stakes, they take that approach. They're looking for a reason to fold kings. Right. And it's just like now when they show you queens, it's just like you just torched all this money. Right. So so I'm not, to bring this full circle, I'm not advocating to pay off the nits. I'm not advocating for you to just like check call down with hands that are strong, but you know that your opponent is condensed to having overpair type mm -hmm. of stuff. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying to put yourself in nodes where your opposition is showing some level of aggression that indicates that they have top of range of themselves because they're never fucking aggressive. Like, yes, of course, in all of those scenarios, you get to be a little bit tighter, right? And you should be a little bit tighter, and it should start with pre. You mm -hmm. should be very quick to dump marginal hands. That's where a lot of your win rate will stem from. What I'm saying is when you find yourself with hands that classify as some of the strongest hands that you can possess in a, in, in a specific spot, get yours. Yeah. Right? Pay by, by investing money in the pot. I don't care if it's actively or passively, but 
put money into the pot. When we flop trips, we're not looking for ways to like lay in the weeds and try to trap people and get them to put a bunch of money in with the bottom of your range. If you could do that, then you wouldn't have to worry about paying off the nuts. It's so wild how people attach so much pride to getting one extra bet out of the bottom of somebody's range mm -hmm. in instead of stacking in exchange yeah. for stacking like the middle or the top. Exactly. Right? Like, I, I like I put in again. I, I, there's another example where I played a hand yesterday where I had aces and a uh, guy opens and I three bet and he calls mm -hmm. and it came queen high and um, it's like uh, queen like two uh, like will cards and um, and he checked and I I think I bet small and then he called and it turns an ace. Right, he checks. I just go two e, which mm. was like pot pot. So I went pot on the on the turn, and um, and he calls, and it was like put two hearts out there, and then the river put a one liner, like I think a deuce made a a, a, straight. a straight, and it came back to our hearts, mm -hmm. right? And I don't have, I think the ace of hearts was out there. Um, and he checks, and I still went, all know, in. I went all in, yeah. and he snapped, he snapped. I'm like, oh god, does he have like king? King Queen of Hearts or something, and uh, I just turn around my hand. He's like, "Oh, good hand," and like so many people just play that hand differently. They would either bet like half pot on the turn, and then maybe even check the river, or bet really small on the river. You know, a third pot. And perfect, perfect example, right? Because you have a hand that started as the nuts pre, remained the nuts on the turn, and then is now suddenly losing to uh, portions of your opponent's range that mm -hmm. you were targeting, right? But you can't care, right? You I have to give value cuts. That, that's that's exactly what I thought. I was mm -hmm. like, I don't. I was like, I'm still shoving here because he still has hands. That, he still has ace queen. He still has queen. Sometimes he still has like a small set, right? He still has certain hands that like are going to pay, right? right. Like if you jam ace king with the king of hearts there in that game, you're probably torching, yeah, right. And that's where we can start to have the discussion of like, oh, what am I doing? Like Berkey mm -hmm. says to just pay, and like you know, if you check that hand out of position and get shoved on, we can have the discussion of like, okay, like, yeah, I mean, in theory, this calls, but in your game, they're not bluffing there, and we probably don't beat any value. But when you have aces, if you were to check that river and get jammed on, you should high five call off. Yeah. But you also just shouldn't check that river. Right. Because he might only jam a flush. Right. Right. But if you jam into him, you know, yeah. you can get called by two pair plus. Right. Which he's going to have. Right. Right. I think the the thing that people don't internalize is the idea that those spots where you the spots where you jam, like either for value or as a bluff or whatever, and you just get like snapped by the nuts. That's supposed to happen. Like right. you, can't, you can't have a good strategy that doesn't involve some possibility mm -hmm. of that, right? And the same goes on the other side. Like the spots where you, you like, maybe even you snap call the river and you just get shown an even better hand. Like that's supposed to happen too. Like that, it's not supposed to be your responsibility to try to avoid ever being in a spot where you jam the river and they have the nuts. Like yeah. if you try to avoid that, you're just going to miss so many jams, either as bluffs and for value. Mm -hmm. Like it, it serves you so much better to just desensitize yourself to the idea of bluff jamming the river and getting snapped. Yeah. Because once you get to a certain point, you've done it so many times, you just, it doesn't, doesn't hurt anymore. It doesn't feel any, you don't feel anything anymore. Yeah. And then not to just keep giving hands, but there was another situation where it was like uh, cut off open, button three bet, and I have queens in the small blind. Mm -hmm. And I just, great formation, I cold four bet. And and then the the three better calls and it comes five five deuce two hearts or something and we get it in and he had jacks 
and just like and and like there was like two people at the table was like wow that was really good well, man you played that hand well wow you really played that hand well and I'm just <laughs> like this is the most standard hand that you could ever right. play like how else could I have played the hand mm-hmm. and it's just like but like they see it as like why would oh I can't you know I can't four bed here i just have queens in a lot of position that's, that's and i'm very an, scared to like oh man they just have a, a bigger pair than me once they call and uh, you know they're looking to like get to the river without even putting money in or something that that's always a really really good source of information about someone that you have no information about when mm-hmm. you play a hand in a way that you know is like standard and then someone gives a reaction of like holy shit i can't believe you called or something like mm-hmm. that it's like as soon as soon as you see that it's like that player does not know that this is standard. Therefore, you can extrapolate some of the types of mistakes they might make. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think this will carry me into... I know we're going to do your hand, but I think it's just better served for an in the muck. Yes. Uh, I, I think this is going to carry me into kind of the impetus behind the academy uh, and, and like what I hope to achieve. Because I think that that is the primary example, the, the one Brian just gave where you should now understand that anybody who thinks like that person who made the comment is now ripe for the picking. And this is what I think is drastically overlooked by the population, especially the guys who are saying like, Berkey doesn't know low stakes. Like he doesn't know mid stakes. He doesn't understand these people. He doesn't understand this pool. Uh, And they're, they're out there saying like, nah, I am exploiting this pool. Like, trust me, bro. I'm making all of the big folds and I'm getting the maximum value for my vet. It's like, you're not. You're not because you can't do those two things at once. And that was the biggest impetus for me starting the academy was making people understand that no matter what strategy it is that you curate. And by the way, when we started the academy, like solvers were at their absolute infancy. Yeah, Mm -hmm. PO had been around for like 15 months at that point. So the ability to even run a clean sim, like the sims that were being ran back then were so fucking dirty that they were barely giving you a glimpse into what theory even looked like uh i I would i would probably argue that in like 2015 you'd be able to get more out of talking to uh, a computer scientist who had vague understanding of what game theory was than you would a random poker bro who was running a po sim right so understand that this was still largely being derived from experience and observation as well as just like me being relatively studied in logic and theory in general from my background. When we came up with this, is like the biggest hurdle that I had to overcome with the students is making them understand that they can never employ a strategy that both wins the maximum and loses the minimum at the same time. Yeah. It's too big of a contradiction, right? It's impossible to take a hand that is worth 80% pot share and both earn that 80% pot share while folding it whenever you're against <laughs> the times that it loses the 20. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. It, it, it earns 80% pot share for a reason. It's because you lose the maximum whenever you're against that, that small portion of your right. opponent's like range. You, mm-hmm. you can't play the dream strategy of they call every time I have it and they fold every time I don't have it. Yeah. You know, that, that just doesn't exist. It doesn't happen. Correct. So, uh, you know, circling back to the hand that Brian just gave with the Queens versus Jacks, where it's like surprising people that that speaks to their comprehension or lack thereof of equity thresholds. They don't understand. They understand the hierarchy of hands, right? The piece of paper that says like full house beats flush, flush beats straight, straight beats trips, trips beat two pair, et cetera, right? They get that. But they don't understand how that breaks down in an equity standpoint and like how a range is composed. So when they look at the top of their range and they say like, oh, I have full houses, they don't understand that full houses are worth like 95% pot share 
in this particular, assuming that it's like, you know, close to the nuts or mm-hmm. something along those lines, right? Or more. I mean, yeah, like, could if be a hundred. If, if you think, well, I mean, if you think about it in terms of EV, like a lot of the time, if you've got multiple streets to come, oh, the, right, right. the, the yeah. EV of like a nut hand will be greater than current pot because right. you're supposed to win the pot even after your opponent puts more money in. Correct. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they don't understand. They don't attribute like, you know, nuts are worth X kind of thing. They don't recognize that like overpair is worth like, you know, very close to full pot. Like, like th- these types of things where it's like they undervalue all these equities because they don't understand how equities work. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to the threshold of like, how much can I invest? Well, if you don't recognize that Queens is like, you know, maybe making 80% of the pot, then you also don't recognize that you can very comfortably be all in with Queens, right? right. Instead, in your mind, if it's only getting called by like Ace King or uh, Queens Plus itself then you're like, I'm not making any money with this. Mm-hmm. Forgetting that you're already making like, you know, five to 7% on Ace King itself yeah. of, of the pot. But like, even that aside, you also forget that like, they just yellow off with other hands. They have Ace Queen sometimes. They have Jack sometimes. They have 10 sometimes that like, they put themselves in this weird position for, and now you're just earning infinite money off of yeah. those types of hands, yeah. right? So the the notion that I'm trying to get at is because there's no actual framework to lean on outside of sheer observation and observation is very black and white right like it's it's very non-precise we observe that our opponent's range is condensed to this small fraction of hands queens kings aces ace king and we recognize from our little bit of understanding of the math that queens isn't a very big favorite versus that range Mm -hmm. so we get conservative right right but the truth is queens might be like I don't know, 53, 55% versus that specific range, in which case that's a huge edge. Yeah. People don't understand that. Mm -hmm. If Mm -hmm. you're making seven to 10% of the pot, that's a huge edge. Massive. You can make a career off of those kinds of edges. Yes. You know, there are people grinding a lot worse, be it, you know, advantage slots or whatever for like 1% edge. Mm -hmm. And they're just trying to crank out volume. So whenever it came to developing the academy, I wanted to try to marry the two worlds as best as we possibly could. And what I realized was that people just need guardrails, right? They need some level of guidance. And the initial impetus for the Academy was like, let me target the two five player that's just been stuck there for their entire career. They can't seem to advance to five ten due to risk aversion, due to a lack of a coherent strategy, uh, due to the inability to, um, you know, kind of put themselves out of their comfort zone. Let me curate something for them that can kind of handhold them through the process. And, you know, I think we're coming up on our 29th Academy today. Um, So this is seven years running. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we've seen hundreds, maybe even approaching thousands of students. It's more more than seven, right? I mean, I... 2017 was... October 2016 was the first Academy. Okay. That's seven and a half years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was 2015. We only ran no. We only ran one in October of. Uh, hmm. Actually, you might be right. I kind of thought it was 2015 because I I came on board in like late 2017, early 2018. Right. And I feel like you you guys had been doing a few like at least like seven or eight before I got. He here, might be right? right because my grandmother passed in August of 2015, uh-huh. and it was when I was home for that trip that Christian was like really pushing the notion of the academy. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, I'm trying to think too. I know that's right when I first started dating Michelle, and I'm like, well, did we run the academies when she was? 
It may have been October 2015 yeah. was the first iteration. Maybe. Okay. And then coming into 2016 is when we did our first full yeah, calendar year. Yeah, because I, I feel like it was 2015. Right. So it's eight plus Either years, way, it's I a guess. long time. It's, it's a, a long lot. time. It's right? a lot, lot of years. Yeah. And the things that haven't changed, at least from my perspective, are the, the notion of kind of creating this rubric for players to follow, right? This notion of generating guardrails to a strategy or framework, if you will, and giving them principles to default back to. Listen, nobody's going to come to uh, an in-person type of academy for three days and be able to just, you know, have me usurp all my knowledge onto them and then mm -hmm. walk away like a better player for it. Like, that's absolutely not the way that it works. No. People asked me too. They were like, so like, like... Am I, you know, once like this academy is over, like, like, am I like, will I get the lectures? Will I be able to like, you know, I, I want to know what I'm going to do after. I'm like, yes. Like it's not come here, we teach and then you go home and then buy. You left your like, own device. Right. Like you, you encourage like stay active in the discord. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, this is a long, long process. That's why you're going to get the lectures. You're going to get, you're going to get all you know the whiteboard and you're going to get a, a recording of all the lectures and the gameplay and you can go review that you can talk to the students you can talk to the coaches for an infinite amount of time like forever to to, to curate the strategy that we're, right and i know, think another challenge. another undervalued kind of part of the learning process i think is you touched on the idea book of can't really win anymore purely through observation mm -hmm. i also think you can't win anymore like treating yourself as an island where you're not talking with other people, Agreed. you're not you're not mm -hmm. engaging with other players, you're not networking, studying with other people. Like I I think the days where you could just take in video content and turn that into a winning strategy and just implement, I think those days are gone. I think yeah. you have to Especially live. Yeah. I think you just you have to be connecting with other players, understanding how they see the game, expressing your own ideas about the game as a way to like challenge how your brain thinks about certain spots. Like, I just think it's an incredibly important part of the process. And that's one of the biggest aspects of value that the Academy has for people. The, mm -hmm. the ability to talk about poker for three days, but also connecting with a bunch of people that you're then going to talk about poker with exactly. after that, hopefully. So, so many uh, of like different academies, like the, the people that come, they end up forming study groups together, right? right. And then they and then they move on from there. So Yeah, big shout out to Chi in the uh, Discord. He's one of the young up-and-comers that came to an academy, I think two academies ago. Brilliant kid, uh, engineer by trade, but like really gets it from a theory perspective. And he's been leading study groups on our Discord for the last... I don't know, three or four months. That's like, right. The cheese study group channel is like one of the most active channels in Distort. Yeah, Discord, yeah. I keep yeah. Saying. which is you know great for the community at large. But um, yeah, when I when when I think about like what it is that we try to accomplish, because it is three days of just having somebody turn a fire hose on. Uh, <laughs> that's why we created SolveForY.io uh, as well. Like it's why we. Tra I didn't want a creative training site. This was never supposed to be that, right? It was like, yeah, let's do a few academies a year. They're like boot camps, and it'll be easy. Uh, it'll be fun and will we'll be helpful. But it became very clear after like the first two that the need for follow-up was so great. Like the need for follow-up was infinitely greater than whatever value they were getting from the academy in and of itself. It was like, oh, okay, this is just like a means to get people's foot in the door. Mm -hmm. And the way I like to think about it is instead of like being poker strategy or if we can make an analogy for poker strategy, imagine that you wanted to learn how to paint, right? And the first thing you had to do off of 
you know, being given a blank canvas is uh, come up with an image, right? Now, it's our job as an instructor to give you an image. So what we do is we try to help you along. We want you to curate the image yourself, but with some guidance. So what do we do? We create a connect the dot, right? So it's your job to look at all these dots and connect them in order to create an image. The next step, by the time you're done with the three days, is that we break this image up into quadrants and it becomes a paint by number. Now, moving forward, it's your job to be able to not only complete this based off of the paint by number, which is going to be tedious. There might be like, you know, hundreds of colors in this, in this particular portrait. And it might be very fine and mechanical how you like integrate each one. But eventually you end up with a full portrait. Now, did you just become a painter? No, right? Because a lot of the heavy lifting was done for you. The creation of the actual image was done for you. The color tone and the palette was all done for you. The instructional where to put each, each uh, section of the color was all done for you. But now you're left to your own devices to create the second one. And that's where like the follow-up training for solve for y comes with like the, the, the training site and things like that. That's where leaning on the community comes, right? Because somebody's going to be good at drawing the dots. Someone else is going to be good at labeling the quadrants so that you can paint by numbers, right? And then someone else is just going to be ex an excellent freestyle painter. You're just going to hand them a blank canvas and they're going to be able to replicate whatever it is that you do. Collaborating with all of those different people will help you along that process to get better at generating dots, to get better at generating color palettes and, and the different quadrants to paint by numbers until eventually, even if you can't mechanically do it, from start to finish, you can see it. You can look at a blank canvas and you can see how the map works. You can see where the dots are supposed to be placed. You can see how it's supposed to break down from a color perspective. And maybe you can't physically do it, which I feel like I fall into that camp a lot. There's a lot of scenarios where like I have really good vision over what theory wants to do in a spot, but like there's just something, there's a mishap going on in my brain. There's a bias that's taking over or there's some desire to lean more aggressive than theory would dictate, right? Because I just don't think people fold the third pot. Fuck this guy. Yeah, <laughs> right? Like, I just prefer big over small. Like, I'm an American. I don't know. But the point is, is that uh, it's not meant to be an out-of-the-box type of strategy. It's not meant to be uh, you come in as a, a, a blank ball of clay and walk out a sculpture. That's not the process, right? And it can't be. It, it literally is just demonstrating a process to people where it's like okay well this is the proper way to go about thinking of this thinking about this game and this is what your opposition isn't doing so if you can take this general framework and you can keep chiseling away for days for weeks for months for years you'll eventually end up with a finished product and you'll be miles ahead of not only where you previously were but what the pool itself is doing because they do all lazily fall into that collective hive mind, right? Mm -hmm. And it's why no one bets thin enough. It's why no one bluffs enough. And it's why you feel like you can't pay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I never knew you knew so much about painting, but... Mm -hmm. I know shit about painting. He's been doing paint by numbers once, and I think, and like, yeah. Right. That was a pretty good analogy, though. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I, I took a bunch of art classes in, in college because I had to. Uh, and I didn't get anything out of it, but I respect the hell out of these people. Yeah. I mean, they it's difficult. They certainly are capable of doing things that uh, 
I don't have the creativity. I mean, you for got it. a picture of the of the pops up there. You paint by numbers. It's really good. Yeah, uh, it was. It had nothing to do with me, man. I just yeah. followed the instructions. Yeah. But again, like that's that's ultimately like what I think everybody. So it's taking the notion of like what everybody wants and repackaging it into what they truly need. Mm-hmm. Everybody just wants a canvas with the with the 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 image on there and the numbers already laid out with a palette that has one through ten of what the colors are. Yeah. Follow the instructions. Here, do boom. this, this, and this, and then you just make a million yeah, dollars. Boom. Beautiful image, yep. right? Or boom, there's your out of the box strategy and you win. And it's bullshit. And a lot of the market sells it this way. But like that just can't ever be the way it works. Like whenever we are creating strategies for the academy, we're just simply teaching you the broad strokes. It's the principles of game theory, right? It's it's uh, these core values that always remain true no matter what environment that you're in. And you can always default back to whenever it comes to thinking about... That's why I named the company Solve for Why. Like, it's not about being able to grab the what and say like, oh, this board texture, C-bet that size, right? That's just grabbing the what empty. And now what? You're at another node on the turn. Because you got check raised and don't know what to do, or because he check called and now you land on this turn distribution, right? It's like there's no way to just prepackage all of the uh, responses. So instead, it's why? Why does theory want to choose this smaller size over the larger size? Mm-hmm. If I can understand that why, then I can understand what types of hands will bucket into that size. And then if I start to look and examine why those hands are fit into that size, I'll begin to understand how they disperse depending upon what the turn card is right on certain turn cards it's clear that i have this bucket of hands that are going to remain aggressive and it's very clear that i have this bucket of hands that have no coordination whatsoever so they're going to go passive and just give up right and then we have this middle bucket of hands that is going to go one of two directions in order to round out each of these ranges and on a very like cursory level that's that's theory in a nutshell Mm -hmm. you know just making sure that you're able to advance through each node of the game tree while kind of like cutting hands out that don't belong to being there and also being able to build your strategy around the strongest hands. Um, You know, one last point I guess I would make about the just pay. I don't think people understand whether you're on the aggressive or the counter. Your entire strategy is derived by the best hands that you hold, right? So even if you're in the check call uh, position of the game tree, Everything that you do, every single check call that you generate is generated off of whatever the highest EV hands are in that particular range, right? If you're trapping the nuts, then your entire strategy is built around trapping the nuts, right? If you are, uh, you know, calling with just top pair, top kicker because you're beaten a lot of the time, but it's the strongest hand that you hold here, then again, your entire strategy is going to be derived off of that. And what you're going to find is that through your check call line, most of it is going to be done through blocking, right? You're going to want to block the strongest hands that your opposition can have because you're kind of devoid of really high EV hands yourself, but you're being laid a price. I know that that sounds like rather complex, but it's something to bear in mind because when you're betting, the same is true. Like it's not about what your bluffs want to do. It's what what do I do here that will get the nuts paid? Right. That's That's, I think, the probably... If there's one big aspect of strategy that people miss the most consistently, it's that. It's the idea that you don't build a strategy from, well, I don't have very many bluffs, therefore I'm going to not bet much for value. You do the inverse. You say, what does my value want to do? Well, now I have to find bluffs. 
if I'm going to bet for value, I have to find bluffs and I have to bet for value because that's how I get paid when I actually have it. Right. So the, a lot of people just look at it in the inverse way and because they intuitively recognize that they don't bluff or they very rarely bluff, they then can't get any value either. Right. So they just need to invert the game back to what it should be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a really great way of putting it. Um, and I imagine that I imagine that this conversation is just going to keep coming up mm-hmm. because you know small stakes don't really change their stripes, right? And I, I think that's where maybe that, my my that was a fun point, mix meta- metaphor. Small t- small stakes don't change their stripes. Oh, well, zebras don't change their stripes. You know what I mean? But small stakes don't really ever <laughs> tigers. change. Tigers. I thought it was tigers. Oh, I've always heard zebra. Either way, uh, it's probably they're, Brit- they're British versus American. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> British one uh, is probably tigers. Yeah, but but anyway, like you know, the small stakes does kind of remain the same, and I think that that's where uh, a lot of the butting of heads comes from. Is that you know, I it's very very hard to show somebody what the other side looks like if they haven't actually gotten there, right? right? So for all of the people that are kind of actually living in the muck day in and day out, and it's all they <laughs> Just, know. They're, they built their house in the muck. Mm-hmm. They, they, I've been there. Their permanent there. location is mm-hmm. the muck. Well, man plays with them every day. Yep. It's, yeah. it's a collection of people that are just permanently in the mm-hmm. muck. They have like a Twitter yep. bio location in the muck. Exactly. Yes, yes. It's, exactly. It's zero, 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 0001 muck lane. Right. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> where I live. Google Maps, the muck. <laughs> right. Huh. And it's like, you know, we could, uh, we, we could effectively, you know, send them I guess, uh, or they could send us their hand histories every single day for a year. And we could just build the In the Muck segment off of it every single day for a year. Because it's not that they're incapable of, of doing things right. Of course, like a clock is, uh, a broken clock is right twice a day. It's more so that it doesn't, it's not generated from anything, right? Mm-hmm. So you can't really show them the things that they don't know yet or haven't yet acknowledged or, uh, you know, you, you, when you're in the muck, you don't know you're in the muck, right? It's like the it's like the frog uh, that gets put into cold the, water, the boiling frog. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and gradually increase. Like he doesn't know he's being boiled to death, right? Until it's too late. Uh, it's kind of the same with these people that are in the muck. There's just no way for me to demonstrate what I know now compared to what I know when I was in the muck, right? Because when I was in the muck, I had to be sure too. You have to delude yourself. If you're not deluded enough to think that you're sure that what you're doing is working, then how the fuck do you show up every day? Mm-hmm. You know? We've really turned the muck into like an existential kind of a concept <laughs> It now. was meant to be. Yeah. It was always right. meant to be. That really was, yeah. I, yeah. I, I feel like we should have a t-shirt that's like a Google Maps thing mm-hmm. with like a, a, location? a, pl- a location, the muck, and then like yeah. a marker placed there and says like, I am here or something like that. <laughs> that is fucking genius. That is genius. You you're, yep. you're just on the t-shirt ideas today. I know. There we go. T-shirt ideas all around. Guys, we have a whole new line of tees coming out. If yeah. you haven't seen them, get ready because they're they're about to roll for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all I got though. Don't come to me for any that, more. Nah, that's pretty good. I mean, it's it's good enough, you know. Like, it's not like we're lacking for uh, for other content. You you bring the in, uh, the strat chat every week. Yeah, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I I like to think I add something. You know, <laughs> don't sell yourself little, so short. Little bit of little bit of red hair. You know, that's what I bring to bring to everything. Well, this mm-hmm. is what we currently have for in the muck. So if you guys uh, you don't want to hold out for the Google Maps version, feel free to head over to our shop. Uh, it's you you can find it at academy.software.io or uh, I think we have it listed on our YouTube, but. Um, in any event, let's, uh, we're, we're going a little long. Let's wrap up today. 
I uh, hope you guys appreciated this strat chat. It was a fun one for me. Um, if there are any questions, as always, please don't forget to like, comment, subscribe. Uh, let us know what you think in the chat or in the comments below. We'll be happy to answer as best we can. Um, before we go, we do have our Twitter Tuesday. So if you head over to OnlyFriends underscore pod, that's our Twitter account, you can answer this tweet. And it's you get to change one rule in No Limit Hold'em. What is it? That's fun. You guys have any preliminary ones? Oh, I don't know. I'd have to think about that one. You have to bluff show. One. You have to show a bluff at least once. Uh, once like per session or once an hour or something like that, or you're kicked out of the game. I think <laughs> a very simple rule that uh, should be changed, but it would it would actually even be hard for me. Like it's one that I've advocated not being changed, but mm -hmm. it definitely should be changed. Is that last aggressor should show first not uh not in order you mm. just give too much advantage to position yeah right like mm. it, yeah, it's it's just very unfair when you're already compromised and you're the out of position player and then river goes check check and you just have to fucking table your hand yeah um, especially like if, if the like the in position was the like you're saying if they yeah, were the exactly so they bet the flop they bet the turn and check check yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's uh and and another reason why i think this would be good to change um is because i think it will make people play worse so there's a big there, there, there's kind of an onus on players to not check call draws on the turn for fear that it goes check, check on the river and then they have to show five high, mm -hmm. right? And they're often too scared to check raise their draw. So it just leads to a bunch of folding. And I, don't, I just don't think that's good. Like, I just don't think it's good. I think the last aggressor should be the one who's giving up the most, uh, most information. They already have the positional advantage. They've already had the lead in the hand. They had the opportunity to bet again and not have to show their hand that way yada 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 the rules are always already such that if you bet and are called you are the one to table mm -hmm. so it's not like we're even like reaching that far mm -hmm. um i'm not sure i think it's only in america that we do uh in, in passive lines out of position shows first yeah i don't i don't remember what the rule is in the uk or in europe but yeah. i have my idea okay no more games without an ante anywhere agreed oh yeah every, every game everywhere has an ante now no more just two blinds just no like a big blind ante yeah, or yeah. some kind of anti. Yeah, just, some, you, right. just, you just can't have just two blinds. Yeah, I'm all for that. More money in the pot generates more action. And every every game is timed rake too. Mm -hmm. Every cash game is timed rake. Yeah, and and more uh, money in the pot in certain ways, right? I, people were talking about like so the the uh, South Point Jewel just got rid of uh, mm -hmm. button straddles, which I'm I'm That's cool good. with. I'm cool with all banning button straddles. Apparently, I guess they're doing it on the strip now. They're they're, they're getting rid of button straddles. That's good. And so then, you know, South Point is following suit. Um, Here's you know, an idea yeah. that a student of mine who plays in Australia, they ha I don't know if this is a common thing here as well, but they have a game called the button game, which is basically every hand that is won by anybody except the small blind. Person who wins the pot puts like a one big blind chip, like a $5 chip mm, they, on, the, on the button. I think they put it at the win. Okay. Yeah, but then, you do, you, it, it's important that it's the small blind kitty instead of the button. The button has too much of an advantage. Well, the, the idea is that it's the small blind who wins it. Oh, yeah, They yeah, call it the button game because they put the money on, on the, the button, button physically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's the a idea small blind is kitty. the small yeah. blind, yeah, okay, so that's a, that's a thing Same, here yeah, as well. Yeah, okay, mm -hmm. yeah, that sounds like a fun game. Yeah. yeah, it's not super popular. It was for a while, um, but stand-up and all these other... I guess it's all, you can't play every game at once, you know? Yeah, yeah. and also I think people like kind of figured out the best way to gamify, or, or maybe not to gamify, but uh, to 
people figured out how to play this game tight also. I guess really? is my point. Yeah. I ran, I actually was helping my student with it and I ran a sim for him where I like, I simulated having five big blinds of anti in the pot mm -hmm. and saw what the small blind's supposed to do against the button open. And it's wild. The small blind like never folds. Right. If you have the ability to, if you're the only player who has the ability to win the anti, like yeah. it's crazy. It, it really is. Uh, it's basically the exact same as the stand up game, except you get rewarded instead of punished. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so it really does create a very similar dynamic. But I think what happened is a lot of recreationals are very comfortable playing stand up mm -hmm. because they get to hide. Mm. And they're very uncomfortable playing the small small blind boundary because the red liners in the game just always win. Yeah, mm. I can see that. Right. That so so if if you uh, if you're a red liner and you always quote unquote win the game, it's good if it's a punishment game, right? Mm -hmm. So like in stand up, the red liners have a massive advantage, but it just means that they don't pay very often. Yeah. Right. They don't really win anything because you only get one bounty of like three big blinds. Mm -hmm. But in the small blind kitty game, the red liners they just get it all. They always win. Yeah. So there's no way like you you can't even really get that lucky yeah. as a, a passive player. Makes sense. Um so it's yeah just a little bit better the other way. But anyway, that's gonna do it for us. Uh we appreciate you guys as always tuning in. Um we are gonna go ahead and get out of here. Uh we have an academy to run and a Steeler game to root for baby. One time let the Bills Circle the wagons the way we know the Bills know how. They do. We'll be back tomorrow, 11 a.m. Pacific. As always, thank you guys for tuning in. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. And we will see you guys tomorrow. So, baby, woo!